You think for yourself? We like that around here. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. Oh, man, what a debacle the Iowa caucuses were this week. I mean, for the Democrats, they were at least. So in about 15 minutes, find out who's calling for some big changes to that entire entire process and it's one of the groups that's the most friendly to the democratic party not just in iowa but everywhere else i'm mike ferguson thank you for staying with us here on american viewpoints and speaking of the campaign for president uh, on the democratic side and really in just about every state across the country uh, the argument a lot of times is coming down to health care specifically medicaid medicaid for all is the term that we're hearing a lot and it's basically starting with a framework of health care is a right therefore government should provide it so medicaid covers a lot of people why not just expand it i'm joined now by ross marchland he is the director of policy with the taxpayers protection alliance ross first of all thanks for the time this weekend and uh, second i thought your op-ed was really interesting because you're challenging one of the key points that's being made with the expansion of medicaid and that has to do with hospitals in rural areas Thanks. And I think the answer is simple. Whenever you give these plans time to day, whenever you look into these plans, it just does not add up. I mean, first of all, the costs are immense to taxpayers. That does not even have to be said. Um, but second of all, how will doctors be reimbursed? And the answer is clearly not enough. And that's one, of, that's one of the key points here, because, for instance, in a lot of parts of the country, like, for instance, I live in Missouri, I'm in the St. Louis area, one of the arguments we hear overall, over and over, I should say, is that we have to expand Medicaid uh, and Medicaid coverage, because if we don't, rural hospitals will close. They depend on Medicaid to get by. Your op-ed, which is called Rural Residents Stand to Lose the Most from Medicaid for All, you're saying just the opposite on that. Right, and look at Medicaid right now as it currently functions. I mean, the reimbursement rates, doctors are not getting paid anything. They report widespread dissatisfaction, and frankly, they do not want to have to deal with the bureaucracy of Medicaid. Study after study after study that comes out on Medicaid finds no real results for patients, doesn't make patients better off. So this is what you want to use as the operating model for the entire country. It's just not going to work. I could hear somebody uh, taking in our conversation saying, okay, Ross, then we just need to increase the reimbursement rates and make them uh, the same as what private insurance will pay. That'll fix the problem, though. The problem is that once you do that, once you even get close to the private sector, then all of a sudden the cost of this already ridiculously expensive proposal goes from $30 trillion over 10 years to, let's say, 60 or $70 trillion. And at that point, the U.S. becomes Argentina. At that point, the U.S. becomes unable to pay its debts. And then the system is just completely and utterly even more unworkable than it is as proposed. Let me go back to kind of that that concept that I, I described when I started uh, the segment here after the break, and that is the conversation has gone from the Obamacare debate, in my opinion, and you may disagree, is that gone from, well, should health care be a right, should government guarantee it, to really an argument that health care or health insurance is a right, and if it's a right, then somebody has to pay for it. What's the cost to society if that is a right i guess the big i guess the more basic question ross what's the mm-hmm. government's proper role when it comes to health care does the government have a role and if so what is it that is an amazing question and the answer is when you think about things like rights right rights are one thing let's say 
you had a right to the freedom of speech. And by the way, I hope that is true, and I believe that to be true. We only believe that to be true because we can verify that right. I could speak out without fear of retribution. But if you're unable to verify that you have a right in the first place, guess what? It's not a right. And in any country you see where healthcare is a quote-unquote right, you see long waiting lists. You see widespread dissatisfaction, and you see people who are terminally ill, unable to access the care they need. And at that point, you have to ask yourself, is it actually a right if that right cannot be practiced? And I would just argue the answer is no. So what difference does it make if somebody is covered through private insurance, which pools risk and pools resources, and a government insurance program or a government program uh, of entitlement like Medicaid uh, or Medicare, what's the difference if it's private or public if the checks are going to the same hospital? Well, what you could see, for example, in the Medicaid program is that doctors are reporting widespread dissatisfaction. They don't want to deal with the bureaucracy and the paperwork. And that's something you see across government. This is the DMV model of government. And that whenever you have bureaucrats administering things, uh, they, first of all, they don't know what they're doing because they're trying to manage things from 6,000 6, miles away in good old Washington, D.C., where I am. Uh, but also, they just don't want to have to deal with filling out all of the forms. I mean, we all have that experience come tax day when we have to deal with the IRS. Um, so a lot of doctors, when they're talking about why they do not accept Medicaid patients, one big thing they talk about again and again um, is the ridiculous cost associated with paperwork. And whenever you have government, you have paperwork. Ross, is um, government-provided health care, making government-provided health care a right? Some would argue that is just the cost of living in an advanced society because we can't leave anybody behind with all the wealth that we have. It's not perfect, but if we don't do that, then there will be people who won't have any sort of uh, health care coverage at all. Because the reason I bring that up, not necessarily because I, I believe it, but it is a very strong emotional argument, especially in an election year. Right. People have the right to choose their doctors. People have the right to um, the most affordable, highest quality uh, possible standard of care that they can get. But you only get that with a private dynamic system of markets. Um, and this is the direction that President Trump is taking us in. This is the direction of a lot of proposals that are released by serious thinking scholars. But these proposals would be undermined and care would be undermined and costs would go up if we choose the government approach. Yeah, and that's, uh, I guess, where the conversation I'd love to see it go at this point is, okay, so what should our health care system look like, be it private or public or a combination of the two? So what is the right approach, at least how should we be going towards the future of health care in America? Give patients as many options as possible. And when you do that, when you legalize as many options as possible, we're talking about telemedicine. Uh, we're talking about subscriptions to doctor's offices. That's called concierge medicine, by the way. Um, and we're also talking about low-cost health insurance that doesn't necessarily cover everything that bureaucrats say it should cover, but still uh, satisfies most Americans. And when you have those components and when, for example, you increase um, health savings accounts where health savings accounts dollars can go when they could go to things like telemedicine, when they go to things like low-cost health plans. That's when you increase choice. That's when you increase shopping around, and that is when you lower costs. I think a lot of this debate really centers on the fact that I, a lot of people, in my opinion, don't really understand how 
insurance works itself, especially when you've got the argument over pre-existing conditions and who has a right to coverage. Because every time you you mandate that there is something else that must be covered, we can't be surprised when two premium rates go up. Right. And we've seen studies that have shown that whenever something that is uh, routine and expected expense, for example, going to the doctor, uh, for example, buying over-the-counter medicine, whenever that gets covered by insurance, costs go up. And you're paying for that. It's just that it's an indirect payment. You just pay uh, through it uh, in insurance premiums, um, and then um, employers take it out of your wages. Uh, so it's really a magic trick in that things get covered by insurance. The government says things should be covered by insurance, and it's going out of your paycheck. You just don't necessarily realize it all the time. Um, the more exposure that people have to those routine and expected costs, like over-the-counter medicine, um, the more prices will go down. Um, now, it is possible um, to have the government set people up where it can empower them to afford those things, for example, by increasing health savings accounts. Um, we cannot continue to increase insurance mandates. All right. Uh, Ross Marsh, uh, Ross Marchland from the uh, Taxpayer Protection Alliance. The op-ed, which was a town hall, and it's also on Ural's website, it's called Rural Residents Stand to Lose the Most from Medicaid for All. People want to be in touch with you. Maybe they've got questions, Ross. What's the best, best way to uh, get in touch or reach out to you? Feel free to send me an email at ross at protectingtaxpayers.org, and you can visit our website as well at protectingtaxpayers.org. Ross, really appreciate the perspective today. Thanks. All right. Well, the Iowa caucuses, uh, find out who says the entire process, not just the app, you know, because you heard a lot about the app that went all haywire. They say the entire process should change. And I'm not so sure that they, they don't have a point, but I'm not completely in agreement on the points that they're making. We'll explain all ahead right here on American Viewpoints. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Sweet strawberry icing. You're in goodwill and just past that vintage denim jacket you spot. Miniature donut earrings. You lean in. Ah. That's the scent of shopping success. Because at Goodwill, every item you buy funds local job training and more. So bring home those donut earrings and bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill. Bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. 